Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. I have decided in 2020 to run for president. Michael Preston. I think I made this mention on the Twitter. I would be less concerned about him actually being president than his wife being the first lady. Like, can, can you imagine just the inflation to Kris Jenner's ego and to Kim Kardashian, that whole family's ego if she were first lady? That if, if a woman who has made a porn tape, an amateur porn tape, was... This is how we're going to start... <laughs> I've lost control of the show and we're only three episodes in and it's game week and I should be more excited about game week. I am very excited about game week. I even shouldn't. I am more excited about game week. Welcome to the Coog Center Hour where I promise less talk about Kim Kardashian and Ray J as we go on here for the rest of the season. It's game week though. I was so amped. I tweeted out the fight song at 12.01 a.m. on Sunday morning. I was so, so, so excited, am so, so, so excited for Cougar football to be back. It's like, you know, you know it's, it's, it's like a, it, like being on withdrawals. You just need to have it back in your life. I, I can't explain why I love it so. It disappoints me every time. It's, it's, like, it's like a child that, you know, just misbehaves. You, you, <laughs> you don't know why, but you just, you love it so much and you can't stand to see it hurt. This has been a really weird start to the Gook Center. I'm fine with it. Depth chart released uh, on Monday and nothing really. And we'll get to this a little later, actually, and ask Michael anything. Which, by the way, you can ask me questions all week, every week. on uh, Just use a Gook Center Hour hashtag on Twitter. Uh, depth chart released on Monday and nothing really too surprising on there. I think that was kind of a relief, to say the least. Um, nothing shocking, nothing, you know, that would cause us to go oh my goodness you know this is a real big concern it was all pretty much exactly what we were expecting uh to see except maybe for the or attached at quarterback with luke falk and peyton bender although i think as we'll discuss with brian anderson here in a few minutes that has more to do with the fact that uh the coaches expect both to play against uh, Portland State because in theory against your FCS opponent uh, a pretty weak FCS opponent at that uh, you kind of expect both of them to play if you haven't seen it yet uh, Jeff Newser put together a really great uh, color-coded depth chart on uh, the website kookcenter.com you had Darian Moulton playing cornerback opposite Charleston White those are two underclassmen Moulton a true freshman too so you know I say whether you want to be concerned about it or not I am a little bit just with you know, again, those freshmen over there and keeping up with Pac-12 talent. Luckily, they won't have to do that for a few weeks, but you still do have good receivers in Piscataway uh, when they go to see Rutgers in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure about Wyoming's wide receiver situation, but against Portland State, should be able to keep up a little bit. I'm excited to see Shalom Luwani back there. Taylor Taliulu, fourth year starting as a strong safety. He's got something to prove back there. We do see the or between Ivan McLennan and Kache Palacio, but I, again, I think, you know, that's just such a, you're going to get so tired playing the rush position. You need someone back there. We got that nickelback position as well. Isaac Dotson, kind of that converted safety, but he's kind of built like a linebacker. Excited to see him play. But where we really get to the good stuff, where we really get to the good stuff, the offense. This 
wide receiving core is loaded. Dom Williams at the X, and behind him is Kyron Priester. What? (laughs) Robert Lewis at the H, Tyler Baker there as well. You saw how much noise he made. River Craycraft at Y with John Thompson behind him. You can see more more Kyle Sweet as the season goes on too. And then Gabe Marks makes his triumphant return to Z with Tavares Martin Jr., the true freshman, cracking the depth chart. Keith Arrington cracked the depth chart at running back as well with Gerard Wicks and Jamal Morrow. I mean, this is just... And every offensive lineman's back. This is just an absolutely loaded, loaded offense. Defense has things to prove. And you just can't be catastrophically awful like you were last year. We talked to Bill C. about this. We talked to Jacob Thorpe about this. We'll talk to Brian Anderson about this. All you have to do is regress to the mean. You have to get back to being a mediocre defense for this team to be really successful. That is all you have to do. Literally. And there's a, the athletes they have on that side with Alex Grinch coaching them up a little bit more than Mike Bresky. There's a chance for that to happen. I'm always a little skeptical about just, you know, blindly throwing your faith behind a new coach. That's a dangerous thing to do. And I get burned by it like Tracy Clark did in the first game last year. But you just can't, you, even from the standpoint of they just should improve. You're not going to be that bad two years in a row bringing back as many guys as they have on defense. No one, I think, is worried about the offense, regardless of whether Peyton Bender takes over for Luke Falk eventually or not. No one's worried about that offense humming along with that offensive line, returning so many starts with so many good wide receivers out there. I don't think anybody is particularly worried about that. What they're worried about, rightfully so, is the defense. And the special teams, to a certain extent, as well. You have Zach Sharmy, the freshman punter, so you're going to get freshman punting issues back there. And Eric Powell is your kicker. He got yanked pretty much right away uh, last year after struggling a bit. Brett Schaefer behind him on the depth chart as kicker. So Powell's been good in camp from what we've seen from Jacob Thorpe's reports. It remains to be seen how well he kicks in a game. You're always kind of a little leery of you know, wondering how he's going to do back there. But we'll have to wait and see. There's no pressure like game pressure uh, for a kicker. So I think the biggest key is this first week against Portland State gives you a chance to iron some of these things out, to kind of get worked out, kinks in the defense, get everybody on the same page offensively. And most, I think most of all, you're just looking forward to hitting somebody finally. You're really just looking forward to just absolutely cracking someone finally. And there's only one thing I never, ever, 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 ever want to see this season. I do not want to see those all crimson jerseys, ever. I never, ever, ever want to see the crimson helmet, the crimson top, and the crimson pants all together in one. Never, ever, ever again do I want to see that combination. Gray, crimson, gray, that should be your standard home combination. Let's go off from there. Wear the all whites at home once a year. Or against the organs like you did last year. I don't care. Wear them against both organ teams. Do it. Those things look sharp, too. Does anybody... By the way, feel free to tell me in the comments here or on Twitter or anywhere, an email, whatever. Are they selling the white jerseys? 
Because those are crisp, and I would love to buy one. I haven't seen them anywhere. But if they are selling them, I would like to purchase one. So please tell me where I can do that. This football team should be better than they were last year. Should be. How many times have we been saying that, though, recently? How many times have I said should be better? It's like the most common word you use when describing the quality of a Washington State Athletics team. Should be better. They should be better. But this defense just should get better just by virtue of the fact that they can't be as unlucky as they were last year. Again, we'll talk to Brian about that in a little bit. But we have a very cool guest coming up for you next to preview game one of the 2015 WSU football season. The man who's going to be calling the game for the Pac-12 Networks, Mr. J.B. Long, joins us next here on the Coop Center Hour. Back here on the Kook Center Hour, we're pleased to be joined by the man who is actually going to be the voice you hear on television uh, this weekend when Washington State takes on Portland State, Mr. J.B. Long of the Pac-12 Networks. Uh, J.B., Kanye's running for president in 2020. Can we count on your vote for President West five years from now? <laughs> I'm actually uh, not a registered Western voter, but oh. uh, I guess there's time to change lanes before that comes around so i'm not going to put it that way okay well I, I just just keep your mind open that's all i'm that's all i'm asking about uh, president yeezy you know um yeah, i just want to see him in more of a debate format <laughs> that would that i would i i'm not much of a presidential debate guy but i would i would watch that um let's talk about football though year to year uh you follow the pac-12 closely obviously working for the pac-12 networks um, year to year, from 2014 to now, just looking at preseason, where does WSU stand in your mind? Better, about the same, worse off? Just just for you, where are they compared to this time last year? Well, it's the first week of September, so everyone is uh, markedly improved. Yes, they are, they yes. Were, uh, in December of last year and in the spring of this year, and uh, no one has regressed. Everyone has gotten better at every position, <laughs> as well as uh, stronger, faster, uh, heavier, only in muscle weight, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, in, in all seriousness, I, I think there's every reason for Washington State fans to believe their their roster is better, is more fortified. Uh, you know, Mike Leach and his staff's recruiting cycle theoretically comes full circle this year. Mm-hmm. That has to mean good things. Um, it just depends on whether or not you believe that the rest of the Pac-12 has has jumped similarly. Yeah, and I think for I think for some teams you can make that case. Uh, I think for for others, maybe you're hoping that there's you know a little regression in the North. Does mm-hmm. Oregon you know take a half step back with, with losing a Heisman Trophy winner? Uh, heck, Washington State had that team on the ropes last year. If they mm-hmm. do, there's no reason to think that Washington State can't play with Oregon. Uh, is Washington without Tyler Miles and a few other pieces 
uh, including a ton on the defensive side, more vulnerable in the Apple Cup this year. I'm sure that everyone uh, in the Wazoo community thinks so and hopes so, and I think there's every reason to believe that. So uh, is, it, is it a bowl suit the season like 13? Is it a three-win season like 14? Uh, I would start somewhere in the middle and then hope that the best-case scenario takes you a little bit higher. Yeah, that's probably fair. And you're right. The Pac-12 North certainly not going to be nearly as good as the South this year, just to in terms of everything they got lost from everybody. Wide receiving core for Washington State is going to be the strong point um, of that offense, obviously. And there's been some debate here recently about, you know, is this the best receiving core in school history? Where does this rank um, in terms of how good of receivers we've had at Washington State? For UJB, where does it compare to the rest of the conference? Because Cal has some very good receivers. Arizona has some very good receivers as well. Where where do they stack up receiver-wise, which is obviously very important in the air raid compared to, uh, two other teams in the Pac-12. Yeah, that last point you make is, I think, the right one because it's tough to compare Washington State's core and the way they use theirs mm-hmm. to others in terms of do they have as much top-line NFL talent as maybe a USC? Uh, you know, you'd probably argue for the Trojans in that respect. Do they have the roles, you know, the X to Z within their system uh, in terms of uh, talent and depth and defined experience? Uh, probably, like you're saying, as well as not better than they ever have yeah. uh, under uh, under Coach Leach, which, you know, given what they lost in Maley and Myers, is, is astounding. Um, I, can I just say that I can't wait to see Kyron Priester on Saturday? <laughs> I don't think uh, anybody. I, I don't think anybody can I wait, man. I think there. we're yeah. all we're all amped about it. We're, I mean, if, if if I'm reading that, you know, no offense. The Dom Williams, but he might have to settle for more of a, a Robin role. And if I'm reading that uh, Priester might be the closest thing to Crabtree that Leach has had since Lubbock, Texas, um, let me just say that Michael Crabtree was the best college receiver I ever saw in person. I was actually working in Oklahoma covering Oklahoma and Oklahoma State at that time mm-hmm. when he was in the Big 12. And, and I saw Leach and Crabtree and, and company at Texas Tech. So if, if he's even a shadow of that this year and hopefully for the next two or three years, then. Um, and Washington State's in pretty good hands. But uh, it, it's not just the personnel, Michael. I think it's the storyline, too, right? I mean, Gabe Marks coming off of a, a strange redshirt year for a variety of reasons. Tavares uh, Martin Jr., who theoretically, given what we just discussed, should have no business being included in this group as a true freshman, yep. somehow is. Uh, River Craycraft, who uh, is a personal favorite of mine. I suspect he's a, a fan favorite in your community as well. Yep. Um, is he going to get enough balls to live up to the Lindikoff kind of billing? Uh, may or may not be critical to Washington State's success as long as someone else is, is catching the love. But um, this, is, <laughs> this is that time of year where we just kind of look at things on paper and say, if all these guys stay healthy, you would suspect that this would be the best group of wide receivers that Leach and maybe Washington State have ever seen. Yeah, the if you stay healthy qualification is probably a very important one to make, given that usually doesn't happen throughout the course of a year, especially for a team with a week four by JB Long from the Pac-12 Network's joining us here. He's going to be calling the game on Saturday. Kicks off at 11 a.m. Pacific time, which is all we care about in the Pac-12 because the Pacific is just, well, the West Coast is the best coast. It's hard to find an offensive line quite as experienced as WSU's and quite as big as as WSU's in this conference, they're averaging over 300 pounds apiece. So I don't think they're getting as much love, maybe not necessarily from, 
folks out here, but and you know maybe nationally WSU doesn't get as much attention as you know other big schools for obvious reasons. But are they getting a little underappreciated by folks with how big and experienced some of these guys are? Oh yeah, probably. If you're talking about a group of you know five returning three hundred plus pounders and any other program in any other system, you're right. That's probably touted as a strength and a reason why an offensive unit is going to control the ball and protect its defense and. Uh, and beat teams that they might not otherwise beat. Uh, with this group, they probably have to overcome a bit of the, the vertical drop, you know, air raid stigma, right? They're not they're not a, an offensive line that's reputed as uh, going to hit you in the mouth and push mm-hmm. you five yards off the line of scrimmage. Yeah. But if, if everything we're hearing coming out of uh, Lewiston and Pullman and training camp uh, holds true that we're going to see Falk and company under center, that we're going to see – more of a commitment to the running game than we have at any point in the last three years with uh, Wicks and Harrington and Morrow and who knows, maybe even James Williams, um, then I think this offensive line is going to be Washington State's greatest asset because I think some of those things can be true. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if an offensive drive takes, on average, an extra play and a half this season or an extra 90 seconds, uh, when you are, I still think, trying to bring along uh, a green defense, who knows where that might bear fruit, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows where that's the difference in a game like Oregon or Cal last year or a few others that went against you. Yeah. Um, so uh, at this point of the season, I'm not sure there's a luxury besides the returning veteran quarterback that any head coach would rather have than a veteran, healthy, experienced offensive line. Mm-hmm. And fortunately for Washington State fans, they have that going over this season. Yep. And you talked about them that, you know, being able to help out the defense, which is obviously the case. You can keep them off the field a little bit longer, let them get a breather and whatnot. Defensively, we've kind of all discussed this as the preseason's gone on and leading up to the opener on Saturday. Just in terms of a law of averages, you know, from that standpoint, it's really hard to imagine this defense getting worse than it was last year to statistically near the bottom in a lot of categories last year give me from someone who's not got a washington state rooting interest give me a reason to hope that this defense is going to be a lot better whether it's alex grinch the new defensive coordinator or whether it's just guys with another year of seasoning under their belt what what should make me encourage that they're going to be better you and I actually kind of let the listeners in on a little behind-the-scenes chatter, which is that we both pointed out the fact that Portland State is not exactly the uh, tallest hurdle to cross in week one. No. And that alone this year, the way the schedule sets up, may play to their benefit, right? Because mm-hmm. no matter who they're throwing out there, um, the Vikings are probably not going to present as dramatic a challenge on the perimeter um, as the way Washington State has started its schedule in years past, right? So that's just a right. good... I think week one place to build from, especially when you're breaking in Grinch as, as the new defensive coordinator. Uh, is he another reason for optimism? Uh, you would certainly hope so. Otherwise, you know, Mike Leach would have hired him, right? So right. there's another one. Um, the fact that they're going to play more nickel this year, even though that nickel looks like it's still going to be kind of a linebacker safety hybrid. I'm interested to see that. Um, I think they're going to be able to generate some pressure still with what they have in um, Paulo and Bial. Uh, do you hope that that would impact um, and protect you know, the secondary? And then, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into some of the uh, depth chart decisions that I've seen here, but if um, Shalom Rouhani has really won a job 
that to me is a good sign. Um, if Gary Moulton has won a job as a freshman, that to me is a good sign because not even though there are guys like Pippins and White and Porter in place who took their lungs and may not be mm-hmm. you know, guys who are going to be all Pac-12 candidates, at least in the eyes of Washington State fans right away, uh, they at least returned as incumbents, solid incumbents, who uh, had reason to think that the job was theirs. And if Moulton came in and won it, then uh, so much the better. I think for now we read that positively and so prove it otherwise. Yep. J.B. Long from the Pac-12 Networks joining us here on the Kook Center Hour. He's going to be calling the game this Saturday when WSU takes on Portland State. Let's talk about the Vikings a little bit, uh, making the trip over from Portland, getting paid a little over half a million bucks for the privilege. Bruce Barham, Barnum, the head coach, has an interim tag on him. Uh, they gave him a year-long contract when they when they hired him in November because they they were in flux with their athletic director at Portland State. What does Bruce Barnum want to do? You know, what is kind of his vision with this team? Because I guess it's kind of hard to, you know, really kind of impose your offensive and defensive vision on a team when you've only got a one-year contract and you don't really know what's on the back end of that, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've been assured that really the only impact we should expect it to have, at least at this stage in his tenure, is, is in recruiting, which, as you can imagine, it's tough to walk into a living room and sell someone on joining you next fall when right. you yourself may or may not be there next fall. Um, but uh, they are talking the talk, at least, in terms of having some pretty good buy-in, um, some pretty good uh, philosophy and commitment improvement uh, in the program year to year, uh, and speaking with Bruce, he's, a, he's an impossible guy not to like. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like when, when Leach gets going. I mean, he's, he's not as quite as colorful and unique as Mike is. Nobody is. Um, but Bruce seems like a really down-to-earth guy who's been in this for 30 years and has finally um, been given a head coaching opportunity. Mm-hmm. Can, I take you on, can I take you on one tangent here that I think your audience might find interesting? Yes, I, would lo- I, lo- I love um, tangents. It's one of my favorite things in math, too. <laughs> first job in college uh, as an assistant of Western Washington in the late 80s, they actually made a trip to play uh, Mike Price in Washington State. So that's an interesting kind of, you know, come full circle moment. Uh-huh. And then I guess he and, he and Price have remained, have been close, remained close uh, to the extent that uh, Price's sons now, Aaron and Eric, I guess, are assistants at Tulane. And so uh, Price is spending a lot of his time down there in New Orleans and around that program. Well, Tulane opened on a Thursday, and so Bruce, uh, you know, had reached out to Price about maybe coming to see um, their opener, speaking to the team, doing a locker room kind of talk, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. So Price goes, well, that sounds great because I'm, I'm available. We don't have a game this Saturday. Uh, what's your opener? And when he finds out that it's Wazoo, <laughs> I mean, he can't help but laugh and just say, Bruce, I can't do that. You know, kind of the once a coup, always a coup. Like, if it was anybody else, I would be there, but I can't go to Pullman and be in your locker room and be on your sidelines. So, uh, oh no, no, there there would be there would be a there would be a riot if anybody found out that he had gone into the Portland State locker room and given them a pep talk before that game. Exactly, um, but kind of kind of amazing and, and kind of a small world deal to uh, know that that was at least preliminarily in the works before. Uh, all parties kind of uh, came to realize the full implications there. 
I mean, I'll give him props for one thing. He asked, you know, it's, I, my philosophy is always, uh, you know, there is no such thing as a stupid question. And, you know, he at least had the cojones to ask. And I I admire him for that. That's, that's, that's a daring thing to ask a former Washington state, arguably the most legendary Washington state coach. Will you come give a pep talk to my team before they play the team you used to coach for, for a long time? It took to two Rose Bowls. That's uh that takes some guts. I'll give him that. That takes a lot of guts. Um, you mentioned in a tweet earlier on uh, Tuesday that Portland State at any one time could have three quarterbacks, either current, former, converted, on the field at one time. Does that mean Kiernan McDonough is not going to be the only guy who they're going to have the ball snapped to? Are there going to be two quarterbacks back there waiting for the ball? Or are they that short on receivers that there might, or trick plays? Or what did, what did that mean in terms of what they're doing offensively? I think I might have even undersold it a little bit, which I'll double back to in a second. But uh, so last year at the end of the season, uh, Josh Kraft uh, came on and took over their their quarterback duties for the final three games. Right. He's now he's now on the two deep at wide receiver. Okay, so there's one. Okay. Um, Paris Penn. If anyone uh, watched Portland State, Oregon State, in last year's opener, he ran for a couple of touchdowns and actually had the Vikings ahead of Oregon State going mm-hmm. into the half. Um, and then he eventually, because of some injuries and, and other things, uh, lost that starting job. But he came back as part of the quarterback competition this year, and they will use him in a utility quarterback, their version of a wildcat kind of role, because he's simply just one of their best athletes and mm-hmm. maybe probably their best ball carrier. And then they brought in uh, a junior college transfer from Utah. His name is Alex Caressa. And uh, he is a former Utah Gatorade Player of the Year. He started his career at BYU. Uh, he came back from his mission, and uh, they encouraged him to be a wide receiver. So he you know, pursued you know, junior college and, and his quarterbacking career, and he has actually come in and won the job. So okay. what was uh, the intention behind that tweet is you could have um, Duresta under center, yeah. Or in this background, you could have ten on the field in some kind of utility quarterback, wildcat, running back role. You could have last year's starter Josh Kraft at a wide receiver, and you could conceivably even have David Jones, who was a prep quarterback, came to the Vikings as a quarterback out of high school um, in the backfield. Uh, he, he's gone from quarterback to receiver and now to running back, which he figures to be part of their uh, three-headed rushing attack along with Stephen Long and Nate Pongo. So. Uh, suffice it to say, uh, keep your uh, trick play hat on and ready because yep. uh, a double pass, not that they've told us as much, but a double pass uh, would not only seem strategically plausible, but uh, it's something that the Vikings are capable of. I mean, that's, you know, kind of the point when, you know, and that, that's one of the dangers of playing an FCS team is that they they have absolutely nothing to lose in a game like this. So the the willingness to kind of do that kind of stuff is you know, they're much more willing than a FBS team would, but balance that with, you know, like we talked about earlier, wanting to kind of work the kinks out a little bit. And it's just kind of something you got to pay attention to. Mr. JB Long from the Pac-12 Networks joining us uh, here on the Kook Center Hour. Um, 59 to 21 last year uh, in this game. And even in 2008, when WSU was really on the downslope, uh, they pretty easily handled Portland State. I think the final score was something like 48 to 7 or 9, something close to that. We're kind of expecting something similar to that this year, aren't we? Because even though we, you know, we just talked about trick plays and having some really athletic former quarterbacks, 
at a lot of positions. The the talent level just is not there for Portland State this year, and especially like you said, with recruiting, it can be difficult with a head coach who's just got that one year contract that is done after this season's over. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been this long enough to learn not to expect anything because uh, I can get myself into some trouble there. But <laughs> from a preparation standpoint, I'm expecting this to, to go down to the final gun. But yeah. in terms of uh, what's most likely to happen, I think something like what we saw last year uh, is certainly likely. And I think it would be great from Washington State's standpoint, uh, not only for a, a much-needed shot of early season confidence, but also because uh, maybe you get a look at Bender as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe uh, some <laughs> for media who cover the team, you get some clarification on redshirting decisions from freshmen, right? Whether they do or do not play in the second half. Yep. Uh, comfortable lead. Uh, you can examine kind of the uh, the running back distribution a little bit. You get what touches and what passes and what scenarios. Uh, you can work in some of the uh, the extra wide receiver depth that we talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where is T.J. Dimry at? Where is Daniel Lillenthal at? Where is Kyle Sweet at? Um, some of those questions I think all get answered. But uh, really I think the, the most important thing for me at Washington State can take out of this is, is what they look like defensively. Yeah. Um, against a fairly solid Portland State offensive line, can they get to the quarterback? Can they handle uh, quarterbacks who have dual threat capabilities? Can they tackle a running quarterback? Because that's going to be another box they'll have to check, you know, down the road in conference play against the likes of uh, Oregon State, for instance. Um, and then, how does that, you know, how does that evolving secondary look, both with the new nickel design and package, and with the fact that they should be one-on-one winning a lot of these matchups against? Uh, receivers that are not Pac-12 caliber. Yep. So those are some of the some of the kind of questions that I'll be looking to answer. I think we'll all be looking for answers too. Um, in a game that you know may not be in jeopardy after a half or three quarters. That's kind of the hope, anyway. Uh, one final question before you go, and I think this this is my hardest one to answer. It's the hardest hitting. I'm going to win a Peabody Award for this question. Uh, what's your favorite place to eat? In Pullman, I mean, you're you're a guy who travels all over the conference. Where, where's your favorite place? Where is there a place you got to you say that I have to stop here before I get on the plane to go to head back to San Francisco? Where where do you have to grab a bite to eat? Uh, great question, and it's my favorite topic. We should have started with it. Right, yeah. Uh, strip ball run there. Uh, I, I like uh, Peruvian food. I love saltados, and they've got great ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been told that uh, Black Cypress might be a likely location for a pregame crew dinner on Friday. Everybody, and you know what? Everybody keeps telling me I haven't been there yet, and every single person tells me. Uh, you you have to go there. Like I I've not heard one single bad thing said about it. So I think that yeah. might be the popular place. I go to uh, I often go to South Fork, especially around basketball season. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm in town, connecting a couple of games or whatever, uh, because they've got uh, good food and and TVs and bartenders that are always willing to flip over to find the game that I'm I'm looking for. Whoever you know the next team on my schedule is, mm-hmm. I want to watch. And then um, just kind of a, a more of a local. Campus shout out, uh, fellas for a pregame calzone is, is always a nice bet too. 
All right. See, uh, I, you know what? We'll we'll do a, we'll do a food around the Pac-12 podcast at some point because you you've been to every single town. You've got to know what everybody's eating in Corvallis and Tucson and Boulder. You, you just you just know what the people are, the people of the Pac-12. You know all about their intestinal tract to be a little more graphic well, than it should yeah, be, but you I, you know what's in there. And then I try and build my flight schedule around uh, my desired meal choice so that I have time to either land and get something or have my favorite restaurant uh, head on before I go back to the airport. So, that's a true uh, that ins- very, that's, that's, that's a very worthwhile uh, ambition to have a food of the Pac-12 conversation at a later date. That, that is a man after my own heart and my own stomach. J.B. Long from the Pac-12 Networks. We're looking forward to hearing you on Saturday in Pullman when the Cougs take on Portland State. Thank you, sir. Washington State fans, uh, I'll try and do my best for you. It's always a pleasure to come to Pullman. And if you want to set me on the right track with any food recommendations uh, that are your favorite, please do so on Twitter. Just go go to Ferdinand's and get the Blackberry Ripple, man. That's all I got to say. Ferdinand's and Blackberry Ripple. You cannot go wrong with that ice cream. Done and done. All right. Brian Anderson, the conductor of the hype train, joining us next. We'll talk a little bit more about the football team coming up right after this. Conductor of the hype train who has his own theme song uh, that he just listened to. Uh, Brian Anderson, are you, are you fine being the conductor of the hype or the love? I, I hope I edited out the love enough, but I, I think uh, I think you being the conductor, you're the conductor of the hype train, aren't you? Yeah, well, I've been driving it pretty hard. That's for damn sure. You've been driving? Like, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, what is it? three or four articles here in the preseason saying that we're going to win nine games. That's pretty much crazy. I, I, that. I hope for no one other than you it pays off because otherwise you're going to endure a very long January through August next year. So I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping this, this pays off for you. Brian Anderson joining us, our esteemed football analyst and all-around fantastic guy at kookcenter.com. Um, one of the reasons you're on the hype train is – the offense and this is you know you've been talking this is team never punt and it almost seems like they're not going to have to because of all the weapons they have on offense this year you have the most stacked receiving core you've seen a very long time 
You got both running backs back in addition to Keith Harrington. And you got a little mini quarterback battle going on, although I don't think it's as much of a battle as Mike Leach might be, even for him hinting at the offensive lines back. This offense is pretty much primed to hum all year long, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, there a lot of people are being reticent just because uh, replacing Connor Halliday isn't going to be, you know, particularly easy. He was he was pretty stellar last year, and so when you lose that experience, um, it makes you a little bit uneasy on how the offense is going to go. But uh, with Mike Leach's teams and with this offense in particular, um, that position can really just be. You know, like a, think of it like a point guard in basketball, you know. So you really only need a guy to be kind of John Stockton-ish to get in and just get it out to all those playmakers that you just went over. And um, I think, you know, from the limited action that we've seen of Falk, you know, I, I think he's perfectly capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. You also, we've been talking about Peyton Bender a little bit too, and it, the first depth chart for this week says, or on it, I don't think that's an indication of, there's any wavering on who's going to start. Leach told KJR Falk probably puts their best foot forward. I think it's probably just an indication that this week he expects both of them to play against Portland State. Yeah, I, I think that's all it is. Is that um, you know I I think in all of his comments and stuff, kind of in the preseason, he doesn't really tip his hand too much. You know, he likes to keep both guys in the hunt and doesn't really you know like to declare a starter until one of them has kind of really proved it. And I think that this Portland State game is going to be an opportunity for Falk to go out there and really prove it. Um, but both of them should play because the game shouldn't be particularly close. And we'll talk about that in a little bit too. But one other thing I want to talk about offensively is Kyron Priester gets enough, you know, he gets enough hype as it is. He's, he's on board the hype train in first class. He gets enough of it as it is. But for you, just looking at him physically – and what he brings to this offense, you know, I mean, he's behind Gabe Marks, but the depth chart for wide receiver is kind of a misnomer because everybody's going to play. What gets you most excited about him? Is it that physicality? Is it the athletic ability? What is it about him? Yeah, probably uh, probably a little bit of both. He's, he's behind Dom Williams over at X. My bad, and, sorry, yeah. Yeah, and so those guys kind of offer, you know, a couple different things. Like Dom uh, is just really explosive. So you saw, you know, some of that in the spring game with him this year where he's, it looks like he just kind of bulked up a little bit. and He's running those screen routes, like, really, really hard. He'll be a, he'll be a lot to handle. And then uh, you get Priester out there backing him up, and it's just such a huge change of pace because, I mean, Priester's fast. His route running is on point. You know, it's about as polished as he can get for a sophomore. And uh, just having that, like, other dynamic at the same position is going to be really, really challenging. So we've got Kyron Priester. I didn't think he was going to be eligible, and Gabe Marks is coming back as well. And I think a lot of people are forgetting, not that he necessarily exists, but what an athlete that kid was uh, as a freshman and a sophomore at WSU. He was just exceptionally fast, really agile, and in a really loaded receiving core, he's even probably the best guy on the field for him. Yeah, I I mean, Gabe Gabe Marks has all the potential of being – you know, all Pac-12, all conference, all American sort of a talent, and he isn't even really getting talked about that much, uh, which is you know really surprising. You know, that around WSU circles he certainly is, but you know, in the ESPN sort of national-ish type of uh, coverage, you know, they're kind of sleeping on him, and 
that's a huge mistake because he's going to put up insane numbers. Now, you, you, you tossed the old pigskin around a little bit like Uncle Rico did back in your high school days. Uh, you look at Luke Falk and Peyton Bender. If you just had to look at the two of them, it's obviously, like you said, it's kind of a little bit of an open competition here. If you had to give the edge to one of them halfway through this year, who does it probably go to? Yeah, that's that's kind of a million-dollar question, right? Um, yeah. You know, I, I think right now when you look at uh, the reasons that we're hearing that Falk has the advantage, uh, just in his prep work, in his film study, uh, in his command of the offense, those are all sorts of things that Peyton Bender can get really good at in a single year. I mean, he could go through four or five games this season and learn how to do prep right, you know, uh, working with Falk every every week in and out in the film room is probably going to help him with film prep and all that sort of stuff. So if that's where Falk has the advantage, that's certainly something that Peyton Bender can get up to speed on in a hurry. You know, it's not a mechanical issue or uh, something like that. So I, I tend to think that Falk's going to be the guy this season. Um uh, you know, and give Bender another year. But, uh, I mean, there's certainly enough kind of open wiggle room in Leach's comments to make you think that Bender has a legitimate shot at uh, getting in there. And Leach hasn't been shy about rotating quarterbacks in the past. I mean, it's it's that he's got that, you know, Falk's precise, but Bender's kind of got that big arm that really intrigues not just fans but coaches. I mean, the guy has an absolute cannon for a right arm. He can throw the ball over them their hills. pretty right like you you watch him throw football and you're like damn that that's how he's supposed to be done that's yeah. gorgeous you know he throws a nice kite spiral all that sort of stuff you know live arm and quick wrist and all that you know gets the ball out right and everything um but you know fox it's not like fox bad at those things either yeah. you know fox fox got a perfectly good arm i mean good enough to, good enough to give me enough confidence in uh in running the offense this is this is the pretty much the textbook definition of a good problem to have. So I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to believe it's a good problem to have. Brian, our very own Brian Anderson joining us, the uh, conductor of the hype train here on KookCenter.com, and another big part of this offense that I think you look at that's really important is not only is Luke Falk maybe a little more willing to check into a run when it's a run box when that box the defense presents is favorable to it. Everybody on the offensive line is back, and everybody is. 285, 300 pounds plus. They're big boys that can get downhill real fast on a run. And they've even said they want to run block. They can get into that second level. And Jacob Thorpe pointed out, they've said, we want to punch someone in the mouth. So getting downhill, giving them someone to run block for, and Gerard Wicks and Jamal Morrow, that's something they've been really looking forward to. And this is probably a group that finally Mike Leach is comfortable with that happening a lot with. Oh, definitely. You know, that's, guys up front they always have that mindset you know they want to scrap and get into a fight down there and uh when you're taking a drop step you know 70 times a game you kind of just want to get downfield and lay hat on somebody but i you know they're they're even bigger than what you said they, they yeah. average 310 they're the yeah. second largest offensive line in the conference and one of the biggest in the country you know they they they're huge. <laughs> They're just huge. And when you start looking at some of the advanced metrics for the O-line, um, I kind of got into that in a, a post a couple weeks ago. 
But when you start looking into the advanced back it's like they were very, very strong at power runs, you know, short yardage runs to gain. Like they'd pick up those first downs, you know, a lot better than I think people gave them credit for. Yeah. And, you know, and so if you start, if you start moving that into where they run more on first down and second down, um, you know, not just those short yardage games, but they're looking to, you know, pop something on first or second down, then, you know, I think they're really going to start adding another dynamic to uh, to this offense when you got a quarterback that's looking at, you know, second and four or, you know, third and two or third and one or something like that. It just really opens up all the options that uh, Paul has at his disposal. Move on to the other side of the football now with uh... – He's the hype train is blowing some smoke out of their lungs right now, so you'll beg pardon for that. <laughs> um, uh, so we move to the defense now, and the Robert Barber Heisman campaign could finally begin. He's now listed at number one at starting nose tackle. Destiny Vio, Daniel Equale, all these guys back. You got Hercules Mataafa basically forcing his way into the lineup, and I think in previous years, folks might have been a little scared of a redshirt freshman forcing their way into the lineup on this team, but that's probably not the case with a kid who, as Jacob Thorpe described a couple of week, about a week ago, um, actually ruined Thursday night football on a number of occasions for the scout team. Right. Like, I, I mean, it, it, was, it was hard to read a Thursday night football recap from uh, Mr. Thorpe there and not see Hercules' name in there somewhere. I mean, he was just all over the place. And that carried over to the uh, fall camp, too. And, you know, as much praise as we just gave that offensive line, I mean, that's who he was going up against and doing that, too. You know, is that offensive line that we have a lot of confidence in. So, I mean, yeah, he's young and a little bit small, but you can't help but think that some of that's going to translate to game day. I mean, the athletic guys have got to get on the field, and that's just the way it is with this football team. Brian Anderson joining us. Our very own analyst, editor, all-around uh, football slinger from kookcenter.com. And this, you know, I think a lot of folks still going to have their toes on the edge with the secondary. The secondary, obviously, was one of the worst in the country last year. New coach comes in. You have a freshman scheduled to start opposite Charleston White. You have Taylor Taliulu, who for the fourth year going to be starting at safety, and that's got a few people worried you do have a good junior college transfer in shalom luani next to him but this this defense it has to get better right like they found the bottom they've hit rock in digging they can't go any further down right uh god you hope so (laughs) (laughs) you you really hope so that's really inspiring confidence yeah i i just you know looking at some of the stats and everything I, it would be a terrible accomplishment if they found a way to get worse than they were last year. Um, it, it's just not very feasible. I mean, even if you look at uh, Bresky not getting fired and keeping his job and bringing all of these same players back and uh, you know letting him have another go at it this year, I mean, statistically, if they just regressed to average, then they would have improved significantly yeah. over what they did last year. Last year was just kind of an aberration, and really an unlucky one like just just about as un- unlucky as you can get i think um when uh when we talk about turnovers and creating turnovers and things like that uh you t- you look at you look at uh, how many of your defense passes end up being interceptions 
And for a normal team, that's going to be around 21 to 24% of the time. So about a quarter of the time that the secondary gets their hand on the ball, they're going to pick it off. Mm-hmm. WSU was at like 7% last year. I mean, that, that's just, it's insanely low. I, I mean, off the chart, crazy outlier sort of low. Yeah. So, I, I mean, just if that gets average, then they're looking at another, you know, 10 or 11 turnovers just from just from that alone. Not being better, not doing anything, just being, you know, statistically average in that area. Well, so, I wanted to talk a little bit about turnovers anyway because you made the point of, you know, how unlucky WSU was on getting turnovers last year just in terms of passes defended and interceptions. It has yeah. to do with how they play, but also all that bad luck. What are those, you know, everybody always says the turnover margin is the most important thing in football. And it's the most important thing because not only are you stopping the other team, you're putting your team in a good position to get that ball back. And for a Mike Leach offense, the more times they can hold the ball the, without, you know, it's all going to even out. Everybody's going to have the same amount of possessions, but the better spot you put them in, even if you got to get back on the field quicker, that's just better overall for everybody. Yeah, well, you're going to end up stealing possessions is what ends up happening. Yeah. Um, you know, so, like, that's where the advantage is, is that you're going to end up having, you know, two or three additional possessions per game. Uh, you know, and I, I think WSU averaged giving up one and a half per game last season, which, mm-hmm. again, is just really, really bad. Yeah. But, um you know, so you look at the overall turnover margin, and I think a couple of things are going to improve. I think they're going to get more interceptions um, in the secondary. Just part of that being they're going to have five guys back there instead of four. I think that they're getting a little bit better coaching. Um, you know, I, I, edging himself from some of the things that I've written, I've, I'm pretty positive on Alex Grinch. I think he's saying a lot of really good things, and from what it looks like, it looks like the defense has responded to him pretty mm-hmm. well. So I'm pretty high on him, uh, you know, and I think that coaching will help them improve a little bit. And also, I, I think that uh, just the risk-taking on offense is going to go down a little bit. I, I know that in Fox three games, he was, uh, you know, 12 touchdowns to seven interceptions. So that's not a very inspiring ratio. But, you know, I think just overall, you know, throughout the course of an entire season, he's going to be able to bring that down quite a bit, too. You're the conductor of the hype train, Brian Anderson. You've got your hand on the big whistle at the front, and you've got that little conductor cap on, and I must I must note it looks absolutely stunning on you. Oh, I, I know. I can pull the hat off. <laughs> get, get me on the train with you. Get me on this train with you. I'm, I'm at the station. I've got my bags packed tight. And I've got my little, I got my little bag on my stick, and I'm ready to get on the train. But I'm not sure if I want to get on the train with you. Why? Why do I get on? The, why am I getting on this hype train with you? Why am I? Why am I getting on and letting you roll down the tracks at 150 miles an hour with the train on fire? <laughs> uh, that's an awesome visual, by the way. Oh no, it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I think, I think. All right, you can either get on it right now. All right, mm-hmm. and you can be excited about Cougar football and mm-hmm. possibly get let down to the future, but more or less just get all on board with it right now, or you can wait until they blow out Portland State and beat the crap out of Rutgers because both of those things are going to happen. That's Good. when everybody else is going to jump on. So you need to get on right now and get your seat because there ain't going to be standing room only after those Rutgers games. <laughs> 
I don't like standing up. I'm a heavy man, dude. Just keep on my knees. That's really, really bad. That's a bad way to do it on my knees. You, yeah, I, well, we, we Portland, talk. Portland's just think about it this way. Portland State, Portland State is a decent enough program, but I mean they're they're picked to finish like near the bottom of the Big Sky. Yes. And you know they've not played WSU very close in their history. All right, and they've never won a game against a. FBS program. Mm-hmm. They're o- they're zero and twelve or whatever it is. So that should be a win. You should feel okay notching that up as a win. Mm-hmm. That's not that crazy of a thing. Now Rutgers is going to start two freshmen in their secondary. They lost Ralph Region on offense, which was the sole reason that they were even like halfway capable. They don't know who their quarterback is. Their offensive line is replacing 112 starts. They aren't going to be as good as they were last year. Their defense is going to get worse. I think that is a pretty good shot for this offense to go in there and just light it up. Um, then you come back home and you got Wyoming. So last year people were kind of excited about a 3-0 and start and got burned, and so they don't want to do it again this year. But I think this year is actually a better shot at it than it was last year even. Yeah, Nevada I think was certainly a better team than a lot of people gave them credit for, and that Rutgers game was just – stupid for a lot of reasons but um the whole feeling cavernous and central link field was a different thing all right i'll i'll get on the dang train with you and if so help me god if this thing derails i'm coming to you for the insurance money that sound fair uh yeah i mean what's the worst that can happen you get upset like you know why not why not go all out yeah nothing to lose all right all right i'm driving over we're going to jokers if that's if you uh if you get me if you get me in trouble (laughs) No, we're not going to Jokers? No? All right. No. no, no. Probably not. <laughs> Brian Anderson from com. It's always wonderful to have him on. You're the best. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. We're going to come back. More Kook Center Hour coming up right after this. It's Dunderhead of the Week time here on the Coog Center. And this one's an easy pick for me this week because um, it, it, it's not like a person. It's it's a network. And I'm not chastising MTV for the Video Music Awards, no matter how stupid they are. And I know I sound like I'm a million friggin' years old when I say that. But no matter how dumb I think they are... And not for Miley Cyrus's dress that looked like someone had drug a piece of tape under my couch. No, it's instead for the fact that the event started at 6 o'clock Pacific and MTV could only be bothered to air it live in the Eastern Time Zone. And Central Time Zone, I think. It's 2015, and you're not NBC covering an Olympiad. Okay? 
show everything live. Show it live because I can just go onto Twitter or I can go on the internet and find out what the hell happened. Now, I'm not saying, obviously, you know, the West Coast audience is a big one. There are, there are 75 million of us out here. Or a lot of us. I don't know if that's the exact number. But there are a lot of us out here. You just lost me. Because I, I wasn't going to watch it before. Not me personally. But anybody that was going to watch it is now on not Twitter. And they're on Twitter and they're not watching it anymore. Just air stuff live, please. I don't care if it's 6 o'clock on the West Coast. Just air it live. Someone's going to pay attention. It's why the Golden Globes start at, like, 4.45. So all these actors who are used to eating dinner at not 4.45 have to eat their dinner and get drunk in the afternoon, and then they just go to the parties and all the really weird stuff happens there. That's where I wish the Golden Globes were actually, like, hosted. The after party. Like, they just did some pomp and circumstance with the celebrities for like three hours where they all got drunk and then we went to the after parties and saw what happened there. Let's go right into Ask Michael Anything. Let's see one for our own Mr. Zane Murphid. Who are you most surprised by being in the 2Deep and who are you most excited to see that wasn't in the 2Deep last year? I'm actually not really surprised by anybody. I, I think that was the one kind of consensus we all thought of from that. Is it's just not really a surprise as to anything on the 2D. Most excited, it's got to be Hercules Mata Afa. That kid I absolutely tore up Thursday Night Football. From at Coog Brand, best Sella's Calzone. And here's where I make an admission. I don't like Sella's. I, I do not like Sella's Calzones. If that makes me a, not a coog, then that's what it makes me. But I do not like Cello's Calzones. Like, at all. Not even close to my favorite thing. Not very good. At all. At S. Kramer writes, Sean Kramer, what do you think Mike Leach's favorite sauce is at Buffalo Wild Wings? It's like that Jamaican one. There's a Jamaican one there, right? It's definitely that one so he can, like, speak in a Jamaican accent after he's had a few cocktails. Definitely that one. Two questions from at Mr. Tommy G Man. Who would you rather be stranded on a deserted island with, Percy Harvin or Jim Harbaugh? I guess Jim Harbaugh is less likely to hold me out an open window, isn't he? <laughs> I think that might be the case, right? Second question If you could do over one thing in Seattle or WSU sports history other than the last play of the Super Bowl, 49 or the Sonics moving, what would it be? It would be whatever the hell the play call was or Matt Hasselbeck's decision to throw in the 2003 NFC wildcard game when Al Harris picked it off after he said, we want the ball and we're going to score. I, I want to do that over. For our very own Mark Sandritter, if you turn the dipping element to the fresh side, is it permitted to double dip? What is proper double dip punishment? I think that is permitted because you're not dipping the, the bet, you know, the side you chomped on in there. Right? So in theory, the germs haven't crawled down there yet. You just gotta do it quick. You can't, like, let it linger. What's the proper punishment, though? If someone does that, just dump the dip on their head. Even though, yes, I know that that gets rid of the dip for everybody else. I don't care at that point. It, it needs to be done. Prediction for this weekend. Who's gonna open up against Portland State? Portland State, uh, made some noise against Oregon State in their opener last year, but Oregon State was able to pull away in the second half. And even back in 2008 when WSU was awful they walloped Portland State so I'm going to go a little more conservative than a lot of my brethren here I'm going to go 48 to 14 
uh, WSU going to beat Portland State this weekend. It's game week. Enjoy the rest of it. We'll see you guys next week on the Coop Center app.